It's so good to be with all of you here in this space, those who are in the sanctuary and those at home worshiping with us. It's always good that on the Lord's Day that we gather uh, physically or virtually to uh, set aside today just for worship. You know, historians would say that the most famous, most critical speech that has ever been given is actually the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, within that Sermon on the Mount, said this, you shall love your, um, um, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think all of us would say and agree that we need to love the least, the lost, and the unlovable. In fact, I don't believe there's a single person in this space who would disagree theoretically and theologically what Jesus said. Uh, We are followers of Jesus and his teachings, after all. We believe that we need to love our enemies until we have to love our enemies. When our enemies are those uh, people who have hurt us uh, deeply, that theory becomes much more difficult to practice. Uh, The boxer Mike Tyson famously once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Meaning that we theoretically agree that we need to love our, uh, our enemies until We have to love our enemies. Peter is writing to a group of people, Christians scattered across uh, the Mediterranean, who are suffering, who are being hurt. And that is one of the the dominant themes of his letter. He is encouraging them, uh, urging them on in the process. In chapter 2, he began with talking about their relationship with the government and how, he need, uh, how, how they need to honor even someone as cruel as Nero, Emperor Nero, who burned Christians at the stake systematically. He talked to slaves, not servants, but slaves, on how they should relate to the, uh, those who own them, their masters, and not simply the good masters, but masters who would beat them and cause suffering. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, he gets closer to home and talks about the the marriage relationship and how husbands ought to relate to their wives and wives ought to relate to husbands. And, you know, it's interesting that when Peter is talking about human suffering, relational suffering, he he, he finds it important to talk about the marriage relationship because a lot of suffering occurs there. And, And he's talking not only about those who are good husbands or good wives, but he tells wives to relate to their husbands, those who are not obeying the word of God even. And now we finally get to chapter 3, verse 8, and he says, finally, as if to say, okay, now I'm going to talk about all the relationships generally that you have, relationships that bring you a great deal of hurt. I believe that this particular section today is so meaningful to us. He's talking to all of us who've experienced and who's had a season of hurt or trauma in the past or are still going through pains of the present. Not, I'm not talking about like, uh, like 
uh, uh, being diagnosed with a disease or financial type of burdens, but hurt that comes from people. And I believe those are the hurts that, that nag us the greatest. In our section today, he's talking to Christians, you and me, who will experience uh, hurt. And, and he says um, that these hurts are, are sometimes intentional. He talks about uh, the evil, reviling, harm, and slander that we will experience. And I believe this is immensely practical for us today. I, I, want, us, I want to say something um, as a kind of disclaimer. I'm going to try my best, and I've tried my best in terms of preparation for this message, not to give my personal opinion, not to uh, have an agenda, not to uh, say anything that is culturally only relevant uh, to uh, the times of Peter, but I believe what, what's going to be preached is appropriate and applicable and timeless to today, to you and to me. It's not simply to other people, but I believe it's applicable to you. And so I would ask to listen with an open heart and open mind because I believe this relates to, to all of us. And so would you turn your Bibles uh, with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. And I'm going to read in the ESV version, and I want you to pay attention, those of you who are English majors, to two types of language here. I want you to, first of all, listen for commands or imperatives or, or uh, directives. This is what I want you to do or don't do. And then secondly, I want you to look for the preposition in the ESV, at least for the word for, uh, as to signal this is the reason or the whys, okay? So verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 is where I'm going to start. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. There's that imperative or the command, right? Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you might obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but, being, uh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in heaven. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water." baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God 
for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Lord Jesus, we come before you. May we uh, bend our hearts in subjection to your word, understanding that the Holy Spirit uh, will reveal these truths um, to us um, as it pertains to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to look at this passage with those markers I had in mind. We're going to uh, look at the heart of responding to those who hurt us and the whys of responding to those who hurt us. First of all, the heart of responding to those who hurt us. Here, uh, Peter gives three instructions, three commands on how we need to respond. First, we need to understand the heart of the offender. Verse 8, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. You know, uh, this past year, I don't think it's a surprise, and, and our deacon John Kim kind of alluded to it in his prayer. This has been an immensely difficult year. It's been probably uh, the most divisive year I've experienced in, in my lifetime here in America. And um, with all of the issues that are happening, there are disagreements, this division and distrust have marked this past year, not only within the country, but even within the church and within even Living Hope Community Church. I am sad to say that there have been people who've been deeply hurt um, within Living Hope this past year, uh, people who have had disagreements about politics, about how we respond to uh, racial injustice, uh, about the COVID lockdown, about vaccines, about masks, and so on, uh, to the point where not only have people have become um, no longer friends, but we've had people actually leave the church saying, I cannot be here anymore. It's too painful for me. You know, we sent out a survey this past week, and um, thank you for all of you who responded. A lot of you responded, and we got some good, you know, great, great feedback. And we're looking forward to sharing those at the town hall meeting. But one of the things that we discovered, um, especially by your comments, is that, that a lot of you feel very passionately, strongly um, on both extreme, both sides. Uh, there are people who have said that, you know, we should not open up anymore. And, and in fact, if you do, I'm not sure if I'm going to come back or I, I think I might delay. And there are others who would say uh, passionately, you know, we're too late. We should be opening up even more. Why even have any of these restrictions? How do we, as Peter says, have unity of mind when we're in the midst of disagreement? How do we have unity of mind in the midst of disagreements? Now, I'm going to tell you, first of all, what it's not, what unity of mind is not. As much as I would want at times I and our leadership, uh, we're not going to tell you what political party to vote for. We're not going to tell you that uh, you need to send your kids to a private Christian school as opposed to a public school or vice versa. We're not going to tell you uh, to make certain med uh, medical decisions for your family. We're, uh, we're not going to tell you what zip code you need to live in. Because, let me, let me tell you carefully, if a group of imperfect, sinful human beings gave applicational directives to that detail to its member. It is no longer a church. Do you know what it is? It's a cult. 
God has called people of various backgrounds, opinions, culture to gather together to be a messy church. Peter is not calling us to uniformity. He's calling us to unity. He's not saying we need to all think alike, make decisions alike, but we need to have a spirit of unity. He says that we do this by having sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The, the term here that I think is helpful is sympathy. Like the English word with the prefix sim, path, uh, pathy, which is a common emotion. Uh, the Greek word sun pasco is alongside of pasco, which means to suffer. Giving someone sympathy or having sympathy to someone you disagree with is not arguing uh, your position, but rather, first and foremost, understanding their suffering or their emotions or their pain. Why is it that some fully vaccinated people become so anxious and say, I, I don't know, I'm afraid, if the church opens up any more than it has? Well, uh, perhaps it's because they have a young child who's not vaccinated or or don't, can't wear masks outside, or they have a child who is immunosuppressant. And why is it that some people are so passionate that we need to open up more and we're way too late and, and perhaps it's because they have a family member who has really struggled uh, with mental health because of social isolation. One of the things that Peter is saying is to have uh, the way that we have unity of mind, not uniformity of mind, is at least, first and foremost, having sympathy, understanding others' pains. And brotherly love, tenderhearted, and I love this last uh, term, a humble mind. I think one of the reasons why we have such a difficult time as human beings is um, in having unity of mind is because we lack a humility of mind. We care more about winning arguments or being right than we care about the person that we are arguing with. I, I believe it is impossible to have unity of mind if we do not have unity, uh, a humility of mind. And we need to start there. We begin by understanding the heart of the person we disagree with or who hurt us. The second thing that Peter tells us to do is to, uh, to protect your heart from sin. Protect our hearts from sin. Verse 9, second half, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and Pursue it. Uh, you know, it's clear that Peter is not saying that it is merely a misunderstanding or if you really uh, uh, sympathize with them, you, you will understand that they did not mean you harm. Because there are times, Peter says, what you'll encounter is actually evil. What you will encounter and what really hurts you is reviling and slander. But he's saying, do not respond with sin. I don't want us to misunderstand something when Peter says, don't respond 
evil with evil, reviling for reviling, but bless. I don't want us to misunderstand Peter's intention. He is not saying, I want it to be clear, he is not saying that we cannot defend ourselves when attacked. He is not saying we cannot, uh, we should not depart from an abusive relationship, that we don't define sin as sin, that we don't become angry uh, for helpless victims, that we don't uh, publicly discipline sin in the church. In fact, Christians may be called to do all of those things, and in fact, it may be wrong not to do those things. What the scripture is clear on is this. In Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. There are times when Christians need to be angry. Jesus got angry. There are times that we need to be angry, but the scripture is abundantly clear, and this applies to you and me, that we do not sin in our anger. You know, when we are hurt personally, our response oftentimes is fight, flee, or freeze. But Peter says, don't respond to evil with evil. You know, for those of you who watch football, uh, you know that there is a penalty called the unsportsmanlike conduct, right? It is when, and, and, and football is such a kind of um, interesting sport because um, when the play is on, uh, grown men would try to commit battery on one another, right? But as soon as the whistle blows, you can't push the other person. And in fact, if a, if a football player, after the whistle, takes a swing at another player with their helmets on, uh, they are flagged for an unsportsmanlike conduct, which is a 15-yard penalty. And oftentimes, when you watch a replay of what happened, you'll notice that uh, the person who took the swing uh, and is called for a penalty already had a swing against him, meaning he is simply responding to the other player's unsportsmanlike conduct. And when he gets to the sideline, the coach will berate him and says, you know, what the other player may have done was wrong, but you cannot respond to unsportsmanlike conduct with your unsportsmanlike conduct. And our heavenly coach is saying the same thing. He's not trying to minimize your pain or uh, the actions of the other person, but he's making it clear that we cannot respond to sin with sin. And although every fiber in our being cries out, it is not simply not sinning against them, but he says we need to bless them, pray for them. Those who have hurt us. Instead of passive aggressively slandering, gossiping, bitter, uh, becoming bitter and trying to isolate that person from those uh, in your sphere of influence, we need to bless, we need to pray for, we need to wish best uh, God's will for that person's life. The third the third command that Peter gives to those of us who've been hurt, injured by the actions, the words, and intentions of other people is we need to honor Christ in our hearts. Honor Christ in your heart. And the command is found in verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as 
holy. And, and I believe that this is perhaps the most important because um, we are told to understand the other person's heart and to guard our hearts, but it is so difficult. It is so difficult simply saying, I am not going to do that. And Peter's remedy is that instead of simply trying not to sin against them or harbor bitterness against them in your heart, but rather put or honor, put in uh, the, the, the priority or preeminent position, Christ, which is the same as honoring. Make Christ the center of your mind, emotion, and will, and make a deliberate decision to make Christ the loudest voice and the highest uh, priority. And as much as, as difficult it is, honoring Christ in your heart means this, that you trust Christ over your emotions. That you make a decision to try, trust Christ over your wounds, your scars, and the pains that has a stranglehold over you. You know, the problem, the problem with hating on someone who has hated us or injured us, the problem, and, and I'm sure some of you and all of us have experienced to some extent, I have done this where I'm driving, someone rudely cuts me off and in a dangerous position, I, I secretly imagine, I fantasize about that car getting pulled over by the police. I, I don't know if it's just me, but, right? I don't know, if, I don't think that's ever happened, but if it ever did, I would praise God for that, I think. <laughs> The problem with hating on someone who's injured us, passive-aggressively replaying that injury in our minds and wanting justice um, actively or passively, is, is, is what happens is that we become trapped. Believing that justice is in, in my hand, satisfaction I, I own, and that weight is too heavy. We cannot be God. We just are not God. Rather, honor Christ in your heart. Now let's get to the whys of responding to those who hurt us. And Peter spends much more time with these lines of arguing. Like I said, in the ESV, it's marked grammatically by the preposition for, found five times. There are five fours. Uh, first is found in verse 9, your calling is to bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. If you're wanting to discover what your, bless, your, what your calling in life is, if you want to know what God has uniquely created and called you to do, it's clear here, your, your calling is to bless not only those who are worthy of being blessed, but those who are unlovable and hurtful, that you have been called to that. You know, I um, appreciate so much, so many of uh, you here at Living Hope, that you would take your calling, the, the way that God has kind of molded and shaped you, and, and have been obedient to that for the edification of others. Um, a few weeks ago, one of our members asked me, pastor, pulled me aside, Pastor Steve, um, can we feed the church? Like, I'm willing to recruit everyone. I'm willing to, you know, like, go do the shopping. 
Will you give us permission to feed the church? Memorial Day weekend would be great. You know, I, what pastor doesn't like the fact that someone would proactively say, I would like to feed people? And I appreciate the hospitality team because they've, I think they were created and called to feed you. I appreciate those who were created and called to play instruments or sing in pitch. I surely can't. I was in a choir at my seminary, and they told me that I should probably sing the tenor part, and we had the sheet music, and we were in the midst of rehearsal, and I sheepishly asked my neighbor, which of these dots are tenor notes? And he laughed at me and told everyone else I didn't know how to read music. <laughs> I appreciate the way that so many of you have been created and called to be around kids and would sit and help them color a cut and things of that nature. And by the way, I, I believe so many more of you are, and Please, uh, please, we, we need more because we, we want to have more kids on campus. And one of the main reasons why we don't have more programs for kids is because we're lacking volunteers. I appreciate the fact that so many of you are created and called to be just nerds, nerds, unite, geeks, that you love being behind the computer or a, a terminal and you can push button and slide uh, slides, and you can make magic happen to people at home. I, I appreciate the fact that some of you are created and called to care for people as cell group leaders and such. But I, I know that uh, others of you are thinking, well, I don't know where I belong. I don't know where to serve. I don't know what I was created for and, and uh, called to. I'll tell you this. Each one of you, each one of you, regardless of whether you think you've discovered your giftedness or not, each one of you have been created and called to be you. You matter. Your presence matters. So much more than you think. Just you being present in the lives of people matter. And what happens is that somewhere along the line, if we think that, you know, I've tried doing that, but I was hurt by some words, I felt burnt out. I, you know, people weren't recognizing and so uh, because of that, we, we pull back and we decide not to get involved in the lives of other people. But what happens is that which happens when we stop using any muscle, we begin atrophying. So if you're not pouring into the lives of the body or others, your giftedness, your, your, your soul will atrophy. So I would ask you uh, to be you. If you're not sure, just be present. Um, the second four is found in verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The reason why we should respond to hurt with blessing is because it's selfish, but your life will be better. Your life will be better. Uh, verse 10 is a quote from Psalm 34, verse 12. The New Living Translation tr uh, translates this verse, verse 10, this way. For the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Basically, life will be better. 
if we choose not to hold a grudge, but rather to bless. And it's true. Social science has proven this over and over and over again. That the ability or willingness to forgive those who have hurt us is just better for us. Uh, one uh, researcher, Charlotte Van Oyen, uh, with Vlayet and her colleagues, uh, reported a study on the uh, psychological or physiological effects of forgiveness versus holding a grudge, and they conclude this, that forgiveness may free the wounded person from a prison of hurt and vengeful emotion, yielding both emotional and physical benefits, including reduced stress, less negative emotion, fewer cardiovascular problems, and immune, uh, improved immune system performance. Well, why should we respond to hurt with blessing? Because it's just good for you mentally as well as uh, physically. A social scientist would say that forgiveness is not necessarily just forgetting. It is not saying we're abdicating justice. A group of uh, social scientists define forgiveness uh, in primarily in motivation. They said that forgiveness is an inner, interpersonal forgiveness as opposed to like a cultural forgiveness. Interpersonal forgiveness is a decreased motivation to retaliate, a decreased motivation to separate, and an increased motivation to reconcile despite the offender's hurtful actions. Now let me ask you a question, all right? I want you to pay attention. Anecdotally, think of people that you've known in the past who were absolutely miserable. Think of people who were absolutely miserable. And one of the things that I think you, you, you might run into is that some of the most miserable people that you've, we run into are not the people who've had a lot of hurtful things happen to them, but rather, they're the people who just cannot forgive. And they hold on to those grudges and they replay that hurt over and over again, and so they, they re-traumatize themselves over and over again. And so Peter is saying to uh, us who have been hurt, it simply would be better for you if you make a decision to bless. Uh, thirdly, the third four is found in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do, um, who do evil. Um, the reason why we, need to, we can trust God is because your destiny is with God. Your destiny is with God. Um, Peter makes this uh, truth statement that God gives attention to the righteous and hears their prayer. In other words, God is on your side. He cares about your well-being, and he, he's against those who hurt you. The reason why we do not respond to hurt with sin is because God's attention is already on us, and if we uh, continue to bless with our mouths, hearts, and actions, and if we are zealous, uh, to do good, God's promises that even when we suffer, we will be blessed. 
Verses 13 and 14, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Romans 12, 19 is a promise that is applicable to us today, to your life and mine. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, written vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So in, in what God is saying, relax. I got you. I got you. Don't, don't stress out. Don't feel like it's up to you. Fourthly, uh, the fourth four is found in verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, uh, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Uh, the reason why we should bless when we are harmed is because your God wills it. This is kind of an overlap with the first reason. Uh, it, not only were we created and called, but it is God's will for us to, uh, to forgive and to bless. And fifthly, and perhaps this is the, the most important motivation, is found in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. The fifth reason is because your righteousness is borrowed. And let me explain this. And he, he, he talks about two categories of people, the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you just read it kind of sloppily, really quick, you might think, yeah, he talked about how God's eyes are on the righteous, and so, okay, so he must be talking about the same righteous, and, and, and it's different. Um, for Christ also suffered uh, once for sins, the righteous, although we can't tell in the English, but in the Greek, that is singular for the unrighteous, and that Greek word is in plural. The righteous here, um, we might think, well, I'm the righteous, and those people who've hurt, this, hurt me are the unrighteous. The righteous here is singular. It's talking about Jesus Christ. The unrighteous, who is it referring to? Is it the people who hurt us? The unrighteous for the, um, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The unrighteous that Peter is referring to is us. He's saying there is only one righteous, and that is Jesus Christ. And we are the unrighteous. And the one righteous one suffered for the unrighteous that we might be brought to God, that Jesus was put to death in the flesh for us. Theologians call this imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is this. It's not a righteousness. It's not good works or uh, you know, a brownie good points that I have earned. When Jesus um, suffered for us, died on the cross for us, and when we receive that, we not only receive forgiveness, but receive all the good works that Jesus has done. And it's credited to us. It's imputed to us. So if we are righteous, it's because it is a borrowed righteousness, an imputed righteousness, not our own righteousness. When we are hurt by others, what we fleshly think is they are unrighteous and I am innocent and I am righteous. Peter says, no, you are unrighteous. Any righteousness that you have is because I have given them to you. And you need to be able to forgive, bless others, 
2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why should we return her with blessing? Because any righteousness that we have is borrowed. It's not ours. None of us can say we're truly innocent. We're simply passing on the forgiveness that have been given to us. Arthur and Bible teacher Jen Wilkins says that you can summarize 1 Peter this way. We should be willing to suffer unjustly because Christ was willing to suffer unjustly to bring us to God. You know, I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. Um, later on, um, you know, during the closing song, um, it will be an offering, a time of offering. If uh, you can do it online or you can do it uh, in the, one of the containers here. But I want us to, to take a minute. The song that we're going to sing starts this way, Lord, I come, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. And then the refrain, if you remember that song, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. The song is saying is not on the basis of my righteousness, but on the righteousness that's been imputed to me. I need you daily, hourly. Would you grant me the ability by your grace to be able to let go and to bless and forgive? Whether it be uh, someone far away, someone close at my home or at work or whatever it may be. Can I ask you to do this? Can you bow your heads, whether at home or in the sanctuary here? Can you take a minute? And ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to you any bitterness in your heart and unforgiveness, uh, times in your repaying past hurts. And just give them to your Lord Jesus Christ honor Christ in your in your heart trust God because he's got you and trust God as, at his word that life will be better for you would you just prayerfully lift that situation that person to the hand of Christ right now and, and let's do that for about half a minute and then Ben will lead us into the final song.